as we open in worship, reminding ourselves that we need to prepare our hearts for this time, to lay our burdens aside and focus on the Lord. Holy Grail. 
Saturday and glad that you have chosen to join us here this morning. Uh, my name is Matthew, one of the pastors here at Faith Family Fellowship. I want to invite you, if you're a guest, to look right in front of you in the pew in front that there should be a little slip of paper that says connection card. Would love if you would take one of those and fill that out and drop that in the basket on the way out that says offering on it as you're offering this morning. Uh, we'd love to be able to reach out to you this week, pray for you, see if there's anything we can do or answer for you uh, this week. So, we have a few things happening. I want to remind you this evening about a business meeting uh, at the beginning of our time together at 6 o'clock. And so there will be in here a 5.30 to 6 Q&A time. If you have any questions, we'll discuss the budget and uh, what's been happening uh, over budgetary things. And if you have any questions you want to ask, please come then, 5.30. And then at 6 o'clock, briefly, we will have that business meeting before we gather around uh, some songs together and testimonies of God's faithfulness and His goodness, and um, we'll have a great time this evening at 6 o'clock. So I want to invite you back for that and uh, let you know about that business meeting this evening. All right? So we have been memorizing Scripture together, and this is our last morning in Psalm 95. And so we will recite one more time these two verses in Psalm 95 and then talk about the last little bit of it. So if you would, follow with me, read it out loud, and we will read it twice and then talk briefly. All right? O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of his hand. Psalm 95, 6, and 7. One more time. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, and the sheep of his hand. Psalm 95, 6, and 7. So as we've looked at the beginning of this, the Lord our God, He is our Maker. He is the Creator, and therefore, because of His creation of all things, deserves our attention. And then, what is His character? None of us were there when He made everything, and so we didn't see it. We have the revelation that God has given us, but we not only see how He did that through Scripture, but we see His interaction with us now. God is personal. He's not isolated and far from us, but he is near. And so I want to draw your attention to Jesus and what he says about himself and what he says specifically about what he came to do in John 10, that he is the good shepherd. He says, Jesus says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to kill uh, to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. So God, before this historical occurrence, is saying that his people are, are his sheep. 
and he will provide pasture for them, looking forward to Jesus, the good shepherd, who would come and lay his life down for his people. So that's why we're gathering, that's why we're memorizing this, is to, to get within our souls the goodness, the faithfulness, the kindness, the grace of God. Jesus, the good shepherd who has laid his life down on behalf of us, on behalf of anyone who would call upon his name and enter in through, through him. All right, let's pray, and then we'll continue in worship together. Father God, I thank you. I thank you, Lord. God, I thank you that you have spoken to us of your faithfulness. And not only have you spoken, but you have revealed to us personally your goodness and your faithfulness. I thank you, Lord, that, that Father, you are near. And Father, I ask you that you would speak this morning to us, remind us of your goodness, your grace in Christ, that God, you would call us, Lord, before you, that Lord, we would bow our knee before you humbly profess your goodness and your grace and trust and obey, Lord, what you have told us. And so, Father, would you meet with us over these next few moments? Fill us, Lord, with your spirit and your word and direct us, Lord, uh, in our life, in today, of how you would have us to walk in faith, how you would have us to obey, and how you would have us to love others around us. And so, Father, would you speak? God, would you lead us? God, would you meet needs that weigh heavy on us? That, Lord, other things going on in our lives and with family, that, God, you, Lord, would meet those needs and help us to, to Lord, bring those to you. Not to ignore them and act like they don't exist, but, God, submit those needs to you. Find you able and faithful to meet them. And so, Father, help us, Lord. Help us this morning. Speak to us and be glorified in this time. We thank you and ask all these things. In the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Let's stand to
sin that we have. To surrender that to you so that we may truly come, that we may come into your presence, that we may worship you. Father, I pray for Pastor Joel as he gets up to bring the message. Lord, that you will give us ears to hear, hearts to understand. Father, that your spirit will speak through Joel through the congregation. Lord, we love you and we praise you. good to see you this cold winter morning and uh, I realize many of you have lived in other places where it's it's genuinely cold uh, when I start feeling cold I have on my uh, weather app uh, a uh, place where some of our church members have lived and that's Anchorage Alaska and so when I start feeling cold I'll pull it up and look and see what it is there and then I feel a little bit better about where I live in the South. But uh, anyway, uh, let me invite you, if you would, to take your Bibles and to turn to the book of Isaiah. And uh, we are doing a series of studies in the book of Isaiah. It is the, um, uh, the, it's the gospel of the Old Testament, if you want to uh, look at it that way. What, what a beautiful telling of the story of God's grace and and the song that we just sang uh, just as I am really has its roots right here in the sixth chapter of the book of Isaiah uh, sometimes we uh, people debate about uh, can you come to God just as you are and 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 uh, realize you can't stay as you are and the reality is when you come to God one you do have to come just as you are you cannot improve yourself uh, you just can't do it you've tried it right it, it just doesn't work uh, we come to him and it's it's in coming to him that we have this moment of desperation that we're going to read again this morning we read it last Sunday and we're going to read it again this morning. And he is the one that through his grace uh, transforms us. I titled the message last week, The Presence of God. I really preached uh, a tale of two men. Uh, I kind of told you that's really what I emphasized last week. Uh, I had an uh, outline that wasn't mined. I, shared, uh, I first heard that outline back in 1976. I don't remember what I told you. 74, I remember. I was a junior in high school. And uh, I remember hearing it that Isaiah had an upward vision of the Lord. He had an inward vision of himself. And he had an outward vision of what God wanted him to do in the world. Uh, we're going to kind of take uh, another look at this uh, upward, inward, and outward vision again this morning, but I want us to see it as an encounter of grace. So that's what I've titled the message this morning, is an encounter of grace. And uh, I do want you to pray that your pastor has a similar 
encounter with the Lord before he preaches God's word every single time. Uh, this makes so much of a difference in Isaiah's life, and it does in yours and in mine. Isaiah 6, beginning in verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. The idea there is all the glory of God, all of his sovereign control fills the temple. He's in, he's in charge. The king has died. He's been there 52 years. What are we going to do? We're going to look to the Lord. He's in control. And above him, that is the Lord, stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, and two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he flew. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the whole earth is full of his glory. And that's that outward expression of his holiness. The foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. And then I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. But then one of the seraphim flew to me, and having in his hand a burning coal that had been taken with tongs from the altar, he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go. Let's pray. Father, again, thank you for these words that tell us the story of your great redemptive plan. Of who you are, of your, your great sovereign control over this world that at times seems to be out of control. And, and we forget that your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. And Lord, you are in control of all that is going on around us and help us as your people have a similar encounter with you that Isaiah did. May there be a, a humility and brokenness that brings us before you and may you do for us what you did for Isaiah and cleanse us and then make us fit for the assignment that you have called us to and then may we be obedient to that call. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So I want to remind you that Isaiah is the one who God had given the assignment to say to the people. Uh, beginning back in chapter 1 and, and verses 2 and 3. Uh, you have rebelled against me. And that was the message he was given. I mean what a great assignment. You know, uh, I want you to stand up in front of everybody and just tell them you're sinning. You know, you're, you're just a, you're a bunch of woeful, wretched people. That's who you are. And uh, 
I don't know how many times I, I hear today uh, from people, oh, I'm so glad we don't have hellfire and brimstone preaching anymore. <laughs> well, guess what his assignment was? It was hellfire and brimstone preaching. He stood up before the people and his assignment was to say, you have rebelled against me. And then he gave us a simple little illustration that basically said you're not very smart either. He says the ox knows his master and the donkey his crib, but you don't know me. He's liking them unto uh, an ox or a donkey except to say you're not near as smart as they are. And so that was the assignment that Isaiah was given by the Lord. And he, was rem he reminded us in verse 9 that there are going to be many and most that will go away, but uh, he was a part of a remnant, a few that were left over. So you, as I, you and I look at the world in which we are living, uh, we can see that, yes, this is often the way that uh, the world appears. It appears that everybody has fallen and, and nobody seems to have good sense and... Uh, we look at our own selves and see ourselves as one standing in the need of grace. And it was true. That's what was true for Isaiah. Isaiah was a man who was a part of these people and he was standing in a need of an encounter with God and with God's grace. Because he says in verse 5 of chapter 6, after he encounters the Lord, what does he say about himself? Woe is me. Now the word woe is a word of judgment. And what Isaiah is saying, and look, when I look at the Lord, I, 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 I've got this assignment that you've given me to go and tell everybody just how bad off they are. But when I see you, you know what I see? I'm just as bad off. I've got my own problem. I've got my own need of grace in my life. And so you and I need to see that the judgment is true in Isaiah's life. And you and I need to understand that about ourselves. Because we have a tendency today to say, well, you know, if, if, if so-and-so or if they or whoever they are would, would have the right perspective, you know, they would be on the right political party. They would be on the right side of the vaccine. If they would be right on the right side of the football team. I'll get a little bit silly, okay? Uh, the other is very serious. If they would just be right about this, be right about that. If they get the right side of theology, if they get the right side of this, if they get the right side of that, then, then they'd be good like me. And Isaiah has been given the assignment to say, no, everybody needs grace. And guess who else needs grace? Me. And it may be that Isaiah, at this moment when he encounters the Lord, realizes he can't say anything. I really have no response to give. Because the second part of this, when he says, I am lost, it depends on your translation... Uh, I am uh, undone, the King James says. I am ruined, another translation says. It, this particular Hebrew word has at its root, and you gotta, I think you need to grasp this. 
its idea is silence. Basically what Isaiah is saying when I see the Lord, I have to tick a lock. I have to button my lip. I have to shut up. I have to say nothing. Because God told me to tell everybody else, you've sinned and, and you're not being like an obedient ox or an obedient donkey who knows who his master is. You do not know the Lord, but when I see the Lord, do you know what I see about myself? I'm just as guilty. I am silent before the Lord. And what he is saying is we're all in the same boat. And so I think we need to get down off of our spiritual high horse and realize that we're living in a world that needs the same thing that you and I have received by God's grace. There's nothing that will change the world but by an encounter with God and an encounter of His grace. And that's what... I'm sorry, it just ran through my mind that old little uh, ditty that uh, song that we had for Coca-Cola back in the day that said, "What uh, the, now is love, sweet love. That's the only thing that there's much too little of. You know, well, that's not what the world needs. It needs love in its expression through God who gave His Son as the atoning sacrifice for our sin. And that's what we begin to see here. So what does the Lord do? When Isaiah comes to say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm guilty. I have no excuses. I can make a lot of them, but none of them will hold up. And I'm in the same boat with everybody else. What does the Lord do? You know, grace always flows from heaven to earth. It always flows from God to man. And this is exactly what happens here in Isaiah 6. Notice what it says in verse 6. Then one of the seraphim did what? Flew to me. Flew to me. You see, it isn't what Isaiah did in coming to the Lord. It was what the Lord did in coming to Isaiah. One of the seraphim, and the word seraphim means burning ones, uh, I, it's interesting, in the Garden of Eden, after Adam and Eve had sinned and they were cast out of the garden and forbidden to do what? Return. There were two angels that were set at the entrance to the Garden of Eden and they had swords of seraph. Fire. It was the fire that prevented them from coming back in and Christ has gone through the fire for you and for myself in order that we might know His grace. And that seraphim flew to me. He takes in his hand a burning coal. One commentator says that's representative of what Christ accomplished on the cross of Calvary. Another says it's His Word because isn't His Word like a, like a burning fire? It's like a flame that burns in the soul. Uh, I know it's God's cleansing power that comes through Jesus Christ our Lord. He takes it off of the altar, the place where substitution is made, where the 
payment for our sin is accomplished and he touches my mouth. He applies it to the person. My mouth gives me away every time. We were kind of joking around in here before the service started. Uh, uh, we were talking, about, talking with the sound guys and, and uh, one of the sound men said, uh, you know, one of, these, one of these days when you say, I know I shouldn't say this, I'm going to mute you. Real funny. <laughs> that was pretty good. We don't have a drum. We have no drummer in there right now. Okay, I'll just do it myself. But doesn't the mouth just give us away eventually? Out of the mouth comes the issues of the heart. I think it's interesting, yes, he, he talks about the heart must be cleansed, but in this illustration, God says, I touched your lips, because the lips are the revealer of the condition of the heart. And so grace is flowing down to Isaiah. Yes, the, what the world needs now is the grace of God. The only way they're going to know it is when we tell it, live it, show it, give it out. Notice what happens when the Lord touches his lips. He says, your guilt is taken away, your sin is atoned for. Forgiveness comes. Now our tendency is to flee from the presence of the Lord. That is our fallen nature. When Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis chapter 3, the man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. And that's what we do. We hide from God. Or we'll somehow, as an unbeliever, say God doesn't exist. But where can you flee from the presence of the Lord? You can't. You just can't do it. Nobody can do it. I don't, I don't care about Stephen Hawkins' uh, arguments that God doesn't exist. I know for a fact that he cannot flee from the presence of the Lord. Why? God says so. He just can't do it. The louder he screams, the more he reveals his heart. And so we can't do it either. Why, and why should we do it? Well, the reason why we do it is, in verse 10 of Genesis 3 is, I was afraid is what Adam says, afraid of God. God's what? Holy, and I am unholy. I am sinful. I found out I was naked. I, I have nothing to present before you, and so I hid myself. There's this shame that comes before God, and that's what sin produces, Sin produces such great shame, and it produces a deceitfulness. It produces a lack of understanding. It can also be the root of our own self-righteousness. You might remember when Daniel, not Daniel, uh, when David uh, had sinned against not only Bathsheba and Uriah, and the people of Israel, he sinned against the Lord. 
when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and murder against Uriah, uh, he became ashamed. It seemed like it, he wasn't because he goes in three months after this event and he marries Bathsheba. She becomes his wife. And uh, it says the thing in Second Samuel 11, the thing that David did, had done displeased the Lord. But it just seems like it goes away. There's, there's a year about that transpires between chapter 11 of Second Samuel and chapter 12. Chapter 12 just begins by saying, and the Lord sent Nathan to Daniel. And, and, and Nathan goes to Daniel and he has this story to tell. It's, a, it's an illustration. It's about a wealthy man who has lots and lots of sheep. And a traveler comes along uh, in verse 4 of 2 Samuel 12. A traveler comes along, but, but he's unwilling to sacrifice one of his lambs. So what does he do? He goes to a poor man who has only one little lamb. And it's not only just a lamb. It's a lamb that is living in their house. By the way, you ought to Google uh, or YouTube rather uh, little lambs and, uh, and shepherd. There's some really cute things that I did not know that lambs could be like little dogs. And come up and put, you know, nuzzle them, their heads up under the hand of their shepherd. And want to be scratched and petted and loved. There's such a tenderness and a moment in that. And you and I can, can see that. And you know, if you look at it, you know what you would say? Oh. And what did David do? David stole away that little lamb or he says a man stole away that lamb a man who had everything and then David becomes angry in response to what he hears and he says about that man that man should be put to death well who was he talking about he doesn't realize it he's deceived by his own sin he doesn't understand what's happening, but he's talking about himself. The wages of sin is death. And so, Nathan turns to him and he says, You're the man. You're the man. There are many places in, where David reveals how uncomfortable he was during this year of sin. In Psalm 53, uh, 51, rather, verse 3, he says, I know my transgressions. The word know there is a word of intimacy, of marital relationship. I'm well acquainted with my transgressions, he says. My sin is ever before me. I can't run from it. I can't hide from it. God won't let me do that. In the 32nd Psalm, he says, my, my bones are wasting away. He said, I, I can't eat, I can't sleep, I can't drink. I'm groaning all day long. And in verse 4 he says, Night and day the hand of the Lord was heavy upon me. And my strength was dried up. Just like a man in the heat of the summer. So what was David wanting then? What did David request? Well, Psalm 51 says, Have mercy on me. 
that man deserved death. I deserve death. But what was the response of David? And what is your response to the Lord? <laughs> Lord, have mercy on me. According to your steadfast love, your loving kindness, your faithfulness and loyalty to your promises and your covenant. And according to that, blot out my transgressions and wash me from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Oh, it's easy to stand in an ivory tower and say, well, everybody else is wrong. Isaiah was doing that because he was commanded to do that by the Lord. But what did he see when he saw the Lord? He saw he, he was guilty. He needed tender mercies from the Lord. And so God does in his grace respond to David. And he responded to uh, Isaiah. To Isaiah he says in verse 7, of Isaiah 6, your guilt is taken away, your sin is atoned for. In Psalm 32, verse 1, uh, he says, your transgression is forgiven, your sin is covered. It's kind of interesting, the word covered here is, is uh, the, the word to atone also means to cover, but this isn't the word to atone for, this is a word that means to clothe. It reminds me of, of 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. For he became sin for us who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. He puts on us the clothing of the righteousness of Christ. You see, it was in the days of Moses that uh, I think we can kind of see this played out a little bit. Moses was instructed by the Lord to go to Pharaoh and to say, let my people go. And uh, when Pharaoh said no, what did God do? He sent a plague. And when the plague came after the, at the end of it, what did Pharaoh say? Go. Okay? And then he said no. And uh, there was this constant uh, coming back. It takes ten times, ten different plagues. The last plague, you remember, is the plague of the death of the unborn, uh, firstborn son who is not covered by the blood. And it happens in Pharaoh's home. His own son dies. And you would think that would satisfy. I think in so many ways, Pharaoh represents the law. You cannot satisfy the law. You cannot fulfill the law. You can try to appease it. You can try to make it go away, but it cannot go away. What does it take? It takes the blood. It takes the covering. It takes the grace. It takes substitution. There was a substitute that was given there in Moses' day in that last plague. Remember, God had commanded them to take a lamb what kind of lamb? The lamb like the man had and the children took care of. God had told them to go and get a lamb out from among their flock. Bring that lamb into their home so that it would not be blemished. 
What do you think the kids did? Well, I know what kids do. Gave it a name, right? If it didn't already have one. Gave it a name. Took care of it. Bathed it. That little lamb would come and nudge up under the hand of some little boy or some little girl in that home. And then came the moment when the dad said, it is time for the Passover. And you remember what God instructed them to do, to kill that lamb and to roast it and eat it. And it's a picture of the beautiful Son of God. The lovely Son of God who, in whom there is no sin, in whom there is no imperfection. In whom when you look at Him, He can say to you, who condemns you? I do not. I'll pay the ransom price. He's the one that can say, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. He's the one that can say to you, go and sin no more. This is the lovely, beautiful Son of God, the Rose of Sharon. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who becomes the substitute for us, the Lamb who was sacrificed. Where John could say, behold the Lamb of God who does what? Takes away the sin of the world. Who carries it away. As far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more. There's the substitute. There was the sacrifice because there was a cross. It required the death. It required the shedding of Blood, the taking of a life. And then there was satisfaction when the blood was applied. The blood was applied to the lintel, to the top part of the door, and then on the doorpost. It all reminds us that grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is between us and the Father. The blood is what covers us. It's what cleanses us. And it comes down to us. Grace upon grace we find in the Lord Jesus Christ. And there it is. The substitution takes place. The sacrifice takes place. And satisfaction is made. And the Father says, I am pleased not with you, Isaiah. I am pleased not with you, David. I am pleased not with you, Moses. But I am pleased with my son. The glory that is in my son. Salvation is given through what was done through the Lamb of God. Deliverance comes through what the Lamb of God has done for us. Redemption comes through what the Lamb has done. Regeneration comes through what the Lamb has done. He makes us new again. He adopts us into his family Through what the Lamb has done. And so here was Isaiah. He comes and he sees God in all of his glory. And he's silent. And he says, I have nothing to say. And God in his grace comes to Isaiah. God in his grace came to you. He came to you. And he touched your lips. Through what Christ had done on the cross of Calvary. Through an atoning sacrifice for our sin. And then the God who said to Isaiah and to others, you're not fit for me. Now what does he say? Come. Jesus said it. 
He said in Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come to me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He wasn't talking about physical rest. That's not what he was talking about. He's talking about a spiritual rest. Striving to please God. Striving to do a little bit more. Come to me and you'll have rest for your soul. And rest in Jesus. Rest in Jesus. You see, this command is a call to repentance. In Luke's gospel in the 13th chapter, there's a whole text there. There are two different stories, uh, contemporary illustrations that Jesus shares. And he says, men died, women died. But he says, except you repent, you will also likewise perish. So this calling of Christ to come involves us returning unto the Lord. It's turning from sin and self and turning unto the Lord. And it is a call to trust in Him. I mentioned it last week that I don't think the word believe is sufficient to communicate what the Bible means by believing in Christ. It involves trust, total reliance upon. The question is, what must I do to be saved? And the answer of Scripture is what? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So the command was come. And when we come to Christ, what's the next command? What was it for Isaiah? Go. Who go for for me? Here was a man that was silent just a moment ago. He sees the glory of God and says, I have nothing to say. I'm guilty. But he's cleansed. He's been touched by grace. And the Father says to him, who'll go? Who'll go tell others about this message? Not the message that, hey, we're better than you. The message is, hey, I'm just like you. Needing grace upon grace. And grace comes through Christ. And the command is, go. The command of the gospel is, if you come to Christ, you are now enlisted into the International Missionary Board of Heaven. For those of you that don't know what I'm referring to, as Southern Baptists, we have the International Missionary Board, okay? When you come to Christ as a part of His family, you are now enlisted in the going of the gospel, And he says it to a man who said, I'm not fit to go, but he's been touched by the gospel of Christ. And when God says, who will go, what does he do? He doesn't sit there like this. Yes, I did fold my arms on purpose. It was interesting how about five of you did the same thing as soon as I did it. He didn't sit there and say, well, not me. What did he say? I'll go. My lips have been touched. I know what grace is. I know the message. I know the story. I know what it is to be silent and shameful before God. I know what His cleansing power can do. God, send me. Send me. You may be sitting there today saying, Who? Me? Have you been saved by His grace? Have you come to trust in what Christ has done? Has His coal touched your lips and you've been saved by His tender mercies? But what if nobody listens? That's kind of 
what the next verses have to deal with in Isaiah 6. What if nobody listens? It's interesting. God says to him, go and say to this people, keep on hearing. But know this, nobody's going to listen. They're not going to understand it. Well, then why should I go? Because God commanded me to go. Everybody needs to hear this story. And so here is the message. Go, how long, O Lord, shall I go? Verse 11 says, until the cities lie waste and without inhabitant and the houses without people and the land is desolate. You know what I think we do? I think we forget a simple little story Jesus told. He told a real little short story, a parable. And it's not very long. It's one of the shorter parables. In Matthew 13, 33, he said, the kingdom of heaven is likened unto... Leaven that a woman took and she put it in a bowl of flour and it infected the whole bowl. It got into the whole bowl. You and I don't know what our little story and our little corner of our little world will do for the kingdom of heaven. You know what? It's not up to us to know how it's going to affect somebody else. It's not up to us how it's going to affect a family member or a neighbor or a co-worker or a fellow student, person you come in contact with here or there. It's not up to us to do that. But it is up to us to do what? Here am I, send me. And God may be going to send some of you across the street to your neighbor he may going to send you across the room to a class member he may going to be sending you across the world to another culture but God wants to take you and use you as I close this I want to refer to a, a song it's been sung here in my 15 plus years I don't know how many times I'm just going to read the first verse of it but it says, I dreamed of a city called glory, so bright and so fair. And when I entered the gates, I cried, holy. And the angels all met me there. They carried me from mansion to mansion. Oh, the sights that I saw. But then I said, I want to see Jesus, the one who died for me. And then I bowed on my knees and I cried, Holy, holy, holy. And I clapped my hands and I sang, Glory, glory to the Son of God. That song came to me as I was preparing this and I thought, that is such a silly song. Don't throw anything at me. Why wait till heaven? Huh? Why wait to heaven? Why not right now? Cry. Glory! Now some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. My, my, my pastor that married Janet and I, Dr. Jerry Vines, used to go to a preaching conference up in North Mississippi okay and those preachers would get up and they'd start preaching about Jesus those pastors that were gathered there would get all excited Adrian Rogers would go to there and you know what they would do they'd get out their hankies now 
most of you don't even know what a handkerchief is, and I understand that. They'd get out their hankies. Woo! They would say, glory to God. Woo! Glory! Oh, what you say. Now, I don't think that's what God's asking us to do. Okay? It was fun, I'm sure. I mean, it'd be really fun around here if I did that more often, wouldn't it? And maybe if some of you would get excited every once in a while. But the glory was what Isaiah did when he went to his people. And he said, nobody's going to listen. But I'm going to tell. I'm going to tell them about who he is and how wonderful he is. I'm going to live for him in such a way that they can't come back and say, well, listen, you know, look at you. You haven't changed. Oh, I'm not all I ought to be. But praise God, I'm not what I once was. And I want you to know, I don't see myself as better than you. I kind of nudge up against my friend, Paul. And I say, I'm the chief of sinners. If God's grace can save me, guess what? It can save you. And so, Father, we come to this moment. Lord, not just to cry out words, glory. Not just to shout from the rooftops, glory. But, Lord, to share your glorious son. Lord, when Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord, you came to him and you touched him with the sacrifice of your son as your grace, as our substitute for our sin, and it satisfied all of your requirements for salvation. And so I pray, Lord, that you today would help us to cry glory by going and by telling and by sharing and by showing that you are a great God, full of grace and mercy to sinful people like Moses and David and Paul and us. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you.